Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Tonight's show, we welcome writer, director, William Dean Leary, and cast of the stage show, Forsaken Angels. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, federal employees, what would you do with $1 million? Your wishful thinking can become a reality. We're Fed Choice, and we're here to help you achieve your million-dollar dreams, from saving you money on a loan to helping you save for retirement. Visit us online at fedchoice.org and use the keyword inside. Fed Choice Federal Credit Union, an official sponsor of the Inside Acting Radio Show. Fed Choice Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. And if you'd like to advertise on the show, write me at William400 at yahoo.com, or you can also follow me at Twitter at four slash inside under bar acting or Facebook william.t.com. Now, we'll be talking tonight uh, about the show Forsaken Angels, which focuses on sex trafficking. And the show will be at Greenbelt Arts Center, September 18th through the 27th. Uh, to find out more, go to www.greenbeltartscenter.org. And Greenbelt Arts Center is uh, 123 Center Way, Greenbelt, Maryland. And the show stars Kelly Richards. Sarah Castillo, Brawlin Blewett, Melanie Pino Elliott, Dwayne Allen, Dave Insagna, Andre Pearson, Erica T. Harper, Carol V. Calhoun, Joanna Matthews, and Vanessa Bourbon. So I see everybody is joining us, so let me bring everybody on in. Good evening. Hi, William. Hello. It's Bill. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. All right. Fantastic. Okay, now who else is on the line? Uh, Sarah Castillo. Uh, Carol Calhoun. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Hi. Andre Pearson. What's that? All right. Andre Pearson. Gotcha. And Steve Beitzel. Hi, Steve. Stephen Beitzel. He is our technical director. Okay. All right. Okay, I think we got everybody. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. So, Bill, I know uh, Forsaken Angels talked about the horrors of sex casting. Uh-oh, we got some interference. Oh, I got a siren there. All right, let's start over. 
So uh, I know it has a very touchy subject, but talk about the prevalence of sex trafficking here on the East Coast. Well, unfortunately, sexual trafficking on the East Coast is more prevalent than a lot of people realize. Uh, it is a situation that a lot of young girls and boys um, are trafficked from down in Florida up uh, into Boston, into the Boston area, and vice versa. Um, it's kind of called uh, the Golden Corridor um, indirectly because of uh, the number of truck stops, hotels, airports um and places you know larger cities along the east coast and and straight up the 95 corridor so it's a, a fairly simple matter to actually traffic somebody up that way um without having to worry about passports or any kind of identification to get on a train or a plane um trafficking at this point has become a situation that a lot more people are utilizing the common vehicle. Mm. Wow. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to jump into uh, some of the characters here. So uh, I guess I'll start with you, Sarah. You play Sam, so tell us about Sam. All right, so Sam, um, the two leads have very different situations but end up in the exact same place. Uh, Samantha was born into the life. So her mother is a prostitute, and her mother's mother is a prostitute. So this has just been a vicious cycle that she was unfortunately a part of and um, completely trapped in. So when she's younger, basically Sam never even really had the opportunity to make any choices of her own because her alcoholic mother, or I guess my alcoholic mother, uh, Jolene, drug addict, alcoholic, abusive, um, you know, she decides what my fate is and ultimately ends up selling me to a pimp and then I end up in the life. Um, So in the first act, you get to see Samantha as a kid when she's growing up as and the second act is when she is actually um, a trafficking victim and all along the way, both as a kid and when she's in the life, her goal is to get out. It has always been to get out, to have her own choices, to get her freedom back. Well, to get freedom at all, really. And, yeah, she's just resilient and tenacious beyond belief, and I really, really have fallen in love with this character. William, just so you know, it it is a situation that more people than you realize are actually uh, trafficked by a family member. Um, The... uh, Right now, it is roughly, uh, statistics show that about 30% um, of children who are sexually trafficked actually are trafficked by a family member or a close friend. Um, If Mm. it's a situation like Sam's where she is a third generation uh, member, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. um, the mother, the grandmother, the father, whatever the case may be, often feels that once the child reaches an age, usually between 11 and 13, that they should be responsible for contributing to the family income. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's that's something else. Okay, so, Carol, we're going to talk a little bit about Queenie. What should we know about Queenie? Hello? 
I think she kind uh, of got. Hi, I'm, I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, really, one of the contrasts that is developed here is that um, pimps are not all the same. That, you know, some of them operate um, through uh, basically trying to uh, give the their charges a love which in many cases they have not found before, or at least a pseudo-love. Others of them operate strictly through violence, and I'm one of the ones that operates through violence. Um, uh, you know, my, my back story is supposed to be that, you know, I was one who started out in the life, but instead of this making me sympathetic to the others, this made me feel like my only way of getting out of the life was for me to get rich off of the backs of um, the other people that were involved here. And I think one of the things, you know, one of the things that you know, I want to emphasize here is people talk about child prostitutes. There are no child prostitutes because a prostitute is someone who has sex for money. And these kids are never given a chance. They aren't, they aren't having sex so that they can get money. They're having sex so that they can stay alive. And in my case, I'm very violent, very, uh, you know, I am operating by having these kids in terror for their lives at all times. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's Queenie's what's known really, as a gorilla pimp, yeah. which usually uses yeah. uh, violence, scare tactics, um, you know, threats of death uh, to keep her her stable in line. Not great. Okay, so uh, Steve, talk a little bit about your involvement in the play. Well, I'm the technical direct technical director, so I'm in charge of the license down right now. Um, that's that's a big portion at the moment, and even within that, we don't have a whole lot of, of, of sound effects, but so mostly lighting uh, challenges us to light between the different scenarios that we have. That so we have um, Sam in her various ages living in you know living in less than ideal circumstances. The lighting for that. And the sounds outside, you no know, sirens going by like we just heard, and, and the noises in general. And Audrey, who is more upper middle class, you know, kind of quiet, but also a better lighting scene. And, uh, you know, there's going to be fires, and there's going to be you know, water running in the background, and all kinds of neat things. Like, you know, my, my job basically is to make all this happen and make it not distract from the actors, but also make it so that, you know, people know what's going on. Absolutely. Okay, Andre, talk about your character. Okay, my character is Aiden, and he is a uh, Romeo pep, and he is the opposite of Queenie. Uh, So he controls his girls um, by romance. Uh, So he allows them to get the hair done, get the nails done, the toes done. They can go to the spa and work out. Um, everything is based on a, a loving relationship from the standpoint of a cow. So he's uh, one of these uh, smooth uh, lovers. He just happens to um, allow his girls to go out and make money for him. Hmm. One yeah, thing about so Aiden, and one thing yeah. that um, I, I, I want to definitely make sure to make clear is although Aiden is a very suave and uh, caring, uh, for lack of a better term, person, um, or the apparent uh, appearance of being a caring person, 
Aiden is still a criminal. He is still trafficking young girls. He, even though he treats his stable better, he isn't somebody who should ever, ever be sympathy felt for or be condoned in any way. Um, you know, he has a line in the show uh, about putting somebody down like he had a horse that he couldn't break the horse's spirit. So while Aiden, mm. his efforts are very uh, different, his actions are very different than what Queenie's are, they're still performing the same criminal act. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Bill, talk a little bit about what audiences can expect, because it's a very grim topic, and it's like, I mean, is there, there are moments of uh, of levity? Is there oh, is yeah. it, uh, all depressing, or how does it, how's it play out? <laughs> no. No. Um, <laughs> the first thing the audience can expect is an absolutely brilliant cast. I could not have asked for a better group of people to work with. I've admired their tenacity, their willingness to take chances, and most of all, I've really admired the fact that they haven't hurt me yet. Um, <laughs> but, they might have been tempted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they've all been tempted a time or two. Um, the show does have moments of levity. It does have uh, uh, times when you see the girls in a younger situation. Um Young Audrey, who uh, wasn't able to join us tonight, um, you see her and her best friend on a sleepover, you know, as Christmas vacation starts. You see Audrey as a young girl with a very loving family um, and with, you know, everything that a young girl could ask for. She truly is the pampered princess. Um, You see Sam, who has uh, one moment that she finally gets a Christmas tree which is something she's never had in her entire life. And this is a huge deal for her. It's just this little uh, run-down tree that she got at a thrift store. But to her, that means everything because it's it's that one moment of normalcy. So there are lighter moments in the show, and there are points in time that uh, the horrificness of uh, sexual trafficking is put a little more to the back burner so that we can focus on the characters as characters, their hopes, their dreams, their uh, struggles um, as they navigate what can be a very violent and uh, harsh world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to step back in time into the uh, the auditions for uh, Forsaken Angels so I guess I'll start with you, uh, Sarah. So, talk a little bit about your your audition. I mean, uh, what uh, what some of the things you're trying to bring to the character? Yeah. So the audition process was interesting because I ended up with a role that I did not actually audition for. Um, okay. So, well, same character, but but not um, you know the, the actual the younger versions. So I auditioned for. Uh, Samantha, the older version, who's the narrator. So we have the two narrators of the show who are in their mid-20s, and that's who I initially auditioned for. And I also auditioned for the part of Jolene, who plays my my mother. Um, So when I finished the audition, I was talking to Bill, and 
I could tell that he had other ideas. I wasn't really sure what was going on in his head, but he definitely had other ideas. And then he um, proposed that I play the younger, the two younger Sams. And at first I was, I guess I was surprised because I wasn't, that's just not what I had come in there to do. Um, But I am so happy it turned out this way. I just, I have absolutely loved embracing these two different, the same character in two different phases of her life. And, and ultimately, the fact that I auditioned for the narrator, I I had become familiar with all the, the monologues and um, that perspective of being an older woman who survived this, or a woman, a young woman, who has survived it. So it was nice going into when I started to uh, work on Sam's characterization, having that um, overall picture of, of how she turned out and what her perspective is after she's come out of this whole situation. Hmm. She completely blew me away at auditions. This was the first time that I have ever had the chance to work with Sarah. And we had been emailing back and forth for, I don't know, a week or ten days before the actual auditions. And when she walked in, um, based on her headshot, I had an idea in mind originally um, of how I was going to cast the role of uh, Sam. My Original thought was to cast three different actresses as the young girl, um, the teenager, and then the adult. And when the two girls who are ulti- ultimately ended up playing Sam came in, um, Melanie Pino Elliott uh, plays adult Sam, and then Sarah. I had the opportunity to go with my original thought, but Sarah was so completely right on in her instincts and in her thought processes during the auditions that I was like, you know, I I really want to see what this girl can do. And that's uh, once I cast um, her with the uh, as young and teen Sam, then I chose to do the same thing with young and teen Audrey. Mm, Okay. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. (laughs) All true. Okay, um, so Carol, go ahead. Go ahead, go. Huh? No, yeah, I, I, uh, I almost didn't audition for this one because uh, basically the oldest of the female characters is supposed to be 32, and I'm close to twice that. Uh, but um, but it seemed to me that it was a very interesting play and a very important play, and I talked to Bill and basically said, gee, you know, I'd, I'd love to be in this play, but I, I just don't know what I could do. Uh, and he said, well, you know, don't don't rule it out. Uh, we do have the pimps, which were originally written as male characters. Um, and um, so I came in to just kind of see whether, you know, whether this was even possible. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a, a big challenge for me. I mean, the last part I had played in one of Bill's plays was a nice, nice sweet little grandmother. And uh, <laughs> here I was coming in as just this extremely violent person who's not only trafficking in young children, but is, um, uh, you know, beating them up. Uh, so it was a challenge for me, but I thought it was a very exciting challenge. And, um, you know, I've been really enjoying having the opportunities to kind of stretch in this way. Yeah. With Carol, yeah. um, because I have worked with her in the past and I, I've seen some of her other work, I knew that I wanted her in the show. And I actually, um, once I, I started researching more about the different pimps or the ways that, that these young people are being trafficked, 
um, I wanted to go with a female character. Um, and one thing that I really wanted to go with in this particular show was I wanted to break stereotypes. Um, most other directors, and you know, once the show goes out into the world, they they'll have this opportunity. They could conceivably cast Aiden as a woman, the more generous and and soothing of the uh, the pimps, and potentially cast Queenie as a male, as the more vicious. But it's so much more interesting to watch a woman um, play the vicious and and very combative and quite frankly frightening version of the pimp and and watching um Aiden be the much more suave caring and compassionate individual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to switch to uh Andre so talk about uh, your audition process. <laughs> oh, this is going to be interesting. I uh, <laughs> actually sent my headshot and my resume and I had all my clips and everything in it. Um, but when Bill told me about the audition, I told him I couldn't make it. And so he said, okay, well, we're going to move forward, and I may or may not call you back. <laughs> and so I said, okay, this would have been a good opportunity, but I, I missed out on this one. And then uh, he called me back, and then we continued to talk. Uh, I never did actually audition, um, but I believe, and it's funny because now I put the pieces together, he, he felt and saw the compassion and sort of knew that was the type of person I was, and he, and I believe he felt I could play that character. Um, uh, but it is interesting because from the moment that I saw this, I've just been absorbed in the whole world of sex trafficking from the standpoint of um, tracing every time uh, a young girl is missing, and I put it on Facebook, and I'm, and it's, it's almost like an obsession now where I'm tracking because I felt, especially in Virginia, I believe there were eight, nine, ten cases where girls would leave out, never make it to the location, never be found. And I was trying to oh, put man. all the pieces together, and then this play came, and it's like, now this makes sense. Uh, and I've learned so much uh, from this, but I think, you know, Bill just saw my heart without even auditioning me. I I watched some of his reels, and I saw him as a person, and my friends accused me of Facebook stalking my actors. <laughs> Which you do. You know, I, I, I kind of do. As a director and as, you know, a theater owner, it really is important that you're looking at you know, what they bring to the table. Um, not only in terms of talent, but, you know, what their their history is like. Um, you know, rather you see that they've bashed other directors that they may have worked with, things like that. And I checked out Andre's Facebook profile, and I was so impressed with the fact that he is somebody who is obviously a very caring individual. He is uh, involved with his church very heavily, and I was like, this is such an interesting casting choice because here is this really wonderful man who just speaking with him, and, and you can hear it in his voice, he has this innate soothing quality about him that is absolutely stunning to watch on stage. But at the same time, he's he's exploiting this young girl. And it's those levels that I was really looking for, and he just fit the bill. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So I gotta let's move on into the rehearsal process. So <laughs> all right, Bill. So you said you got some static a little bit. Uh so talk about that. What's your process? Well, one thing that we worked on at the beginning of rehearsals was trust. Because the actors very much have to trust each other and they have to commit completely. Um, there are some very violent scenes and some very sexual scenes in the show. And as an actor and as a director, I did not want them holding back to the point where it would look rehearsed or it would look staged. So we spent a lot of time working with some trust exercises. I spent some time with each one of the cast members just talking to them a little bit. Um, and on our first rehearsal, I would blindfold certain actors and then have other actors lead them through the rehearsal space because I hmm. needed them to really get to the point where they understood the the movement um, of the other character uh, I've been having, at different points, um, the actors play different roles in the show, read in the different roles, so that they can understand the motivation. Because you can watch it, but until you actually are able to say the words and interpret their meaning in your own special way, it, it's difficult to understand how the other actor or the other character may be reacting to that situation. So I've done that more with, uh, especially with the two Sams and the two Audreys. Yeah. Hmm. All right. I guess I'll put you on the spot here. So I guess I'll start with you, Carol. So what's some of the interesting things that came out of rehearsal for you? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that is, you know, interesting and, and new to me is the extent of the violence because it's not just sort of off stage. Um, I mean, I am, you know, pulling hair, I'm slapping, I'm wrestling somebody to the ground, I'm getting thrown to the ground, whatever. And, um, you know, I, uh, <laughs> this is not the kind of thing I do in real life, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I have had to learn to not hold back on this, to really, you know, see this as, um, for for my character, this is the way she has to survive because if she ever if she ever lets up this pressure, if she ever lets people think they have another choice, she's dead. Um, and so oh. she is just you know continuously um, trying to keep the, the, these people in line through fear and through uh, both um, uh, threatened violence and actual violence. Um, you know and with the theory being that if they get beaten up regularly and she says, I'll kill you if you do X, that they will actually believe that she's going to kill them. So um, this is, uh, the rehearsal process has been physically and mentally taxing for me. Mm. As it has for everybody. They've, they've named the bruises after me now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, there are oh, a few yeah. of those. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been really tough, but uh, you know, I want to go back to working with the actors and with Steve and his wife Danny, um, who is our our uh, costumer, and she helps a lot with tech. Um, it really has been um, 
a situation that everybody in this show has shown so much bravery. They've embraced the characters. They've researched sexual trafficking. They've committed to, uh, you know, being uh, almost naked on stage at times. Um, and they've really committed to the uh, the harsher realities, which has been absolutely amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I could just add something to that, um, if you don't mind. So I have to commend Bill for his process of getting us there because, like you said, I think everyone has been just making incredibly bold choices and and has really become fearless, but it wasn't like that from day one. And with Bill using these trust exercises from the get-go, I know, at least for me, it really helps just to get into this place where it's like, okay, this is a safe space to explore all these issues and it was like the second or third rehearsal that Bill just sat Jolene and I down in one of our probably the most difficult scene that we have together and we did it once and didn't even come close to what the level of intensity and emotion of the scene really called for and he just had us do it and really encouraged us to to dig deep and into the emotion not just dictating you know for the audience oh, you know, we're feeling a certain thing or forcing the emotion, but really feeling it. And that was certainly a new experience for me that early on in rehearsal to just push it to performance mode and just to see for myself discovering, you know, my own, um, not limits, but like I guess like the um, potential of, of how far I could feel something. And so I just, I really appreciate it. I like that about Bill's style a lot. So thank you, Bill. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Very nice to hear. Uh, yeah, uh, Andre, uh, uh, what's your take on the rehearsal process? <laughs> it has been difficult for me at times. <laughs> uh, I, I, and, and Bill knew this, but I'm a trustee and uh, I'm the director of my sports ministry, so I am I am very into church and and. It is a struggle for me, and Sarah really helps me out. But my character, um, there is a lot of physical contact, and and um, I, I'm uncomfortable. But I was very, very uncomfortable in the beginning. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Steve, they started said, "Wait a second, you were in the Navy. Go back to that time, you know, back then." And they kind of put it in perspective. Uh, but it is a struggle for me because it is it is so graphic. And and uh, uh, there's one scene where I said, "Sarah, you need to push to this next scene because if I touch you there, I'm going to lose it." And so it is. It is. And just, he has. <laughs> mm. there, there have been times when I've watched that man blush 16 shades of red oh my god oh man that's a whole nother fight 16 shades <laughs> wow yeah uh, oh Steve I forgot you back there so you've done you've done shows with Wolfpack before right yeah I actually started with uh, Wolfpack on Masquerade which was Year and a half ago now, right, Bill? Two years uh, ago. A year ago, we opened. Actually, I think, um, I think just a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I was volunteering at a care center for the arts, which was a uh, art school, art and music school for for children over in Old Town Bowie, and the um, 
the Wolfpack was using their space to demasquerade. I got involved with the lighting over there and just kind of, uh, you know, integrated myself in, into the family and haven't gone away. <laughs> and now mm. he keeps trying to yeah. leave and we just won't let him. Right. <laughs> I, started, I started buying a bunch of bunch of lights and stuff with Bill's credit card. He told me if I bought too much, I was not allowed to go away because I had to I had to run them all. Exactly. So we're <laughs> we're tied forever now, or at least until they're paid off, whichever comes first, and that's not happening anytime soon. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Yeah, Steve so Bill, has been. Oh, yeah, Steve has been a godsend to Wolfpack. Um, he and his wife, Danny, both have really committed to the company overall. And I can honestly say that um, Wolfpack would would not be where it is at this point without the help of Steve and Danny. Um, our first show was actually at the Christian Life Center. Um, the first year we did a Christmas carol, um, the Caris Center for the Arts, St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church here in Riverdale, Maryland is allowing us to rehearse angels. So there have been so many really wonderful people and wonderful organizations that have uh, helped Wolfpack on the way and have helped me uh, tremendously because it's giving me the opportunity to really be able to focus on the shows and really be able to focus on what it is that I want the pack to be able to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Bill, what do you think audiences will learn from the play? I think that they're going to learn that sexual trafficking is a much bigger problem than people realize, that anybody can be a victim. Um, the show starts uh, in 2008. Um, we reference uh, Princess Diaries a lot during the show because mm. every character relates to that particular or almost every character, relates to that particular movie in one way or another. Um, Audrey wants to be the princess without realizing that she really is a princess. Um, she's, you know, the child of a well-loved family. She is uh, taken because of her involvement with Facebook, and she meets a boy that she thinks is some one thing and turns out to be something completely different. Um, Sam relates to the show because she wants to be a wallflower. Uh, Alex, mm. the third what I call angel um, in the show, uh, Alex is the male, uh, the male victim, um, and he is an incredibly tough character. He's being uh, played by Dwayne Allen who is an amazing young actor. I, I can't say enough good things about him. Um, and because of his sexuality is how he ends up in, in, in the life. So mm. it really is a situation that anybody can become a victim, and the trick is to become a survivor. And there's yeah. a very big distinction between being a victim and being a survivor. A survivor is somebody who has lived the life but has come out on the other side stronger. A victim is somebody who probably is either still in the life because they don't know anything else, they're still being forced, or they're dead. Oh, man. Oh, man. 
Yeah, I want to uh, go back to the actors here. So uh, I guess I'll start with you, Sarah. So what's been people's reaction when you tell them that uh, you've been rehearsing this show? You know, it's similar to what Bill has mentioned. I think there's just such a lack, a general lack of awareness about the issue and how pervasive, unfortunately pervasive and entrenched it, it really is, not just abroad. And it's very much present, as Bill's mentioned, in the United States. So I think usually their first question is just sort of, it's you hear it and then you think, I think they're, the immediate place people go is like, oh, prostitution. Well, that's there's all these different implications with that. As Carol mentioned earlier, it's like, oh, well, that's a choice, and they're not really victims. And so that's it seems to be the initial association people have with it. And then, of course, when you explain this is a completely different thing we're talking about here, and the whole purpose of the show is to bring awareness to that, um, to the differences and to how big of a problem it is. And it's just really, it's, it's so entrenched. I mean, really the best we can hope to do is is bring to light what's happening so people are at least knowledgeable and then can help in their own ways. Um, but it is, it's, it's, this role is so far beyond anything I've ever done. Um, comfort zone wise, it's, it's really forced me to push myself in a way that has just been completely rewarding. And of course, learning more about the issue on a personal level, it's been rewarding. Um, kind of like, like Andre had said, it's just, it's like it, it does become kind of an obsession. Just it's like you want to know everything about it. The more you learn, you realize the less you know. And it's, you know, anything we can do to help. So I'm just, I'm just really honored to be a part of this entire cause. The sexual trafficking right now, William, is a $32 billion a year industry, roughly, in the United States. Hmm. And at any given point, there are roughly 200,000 children under the age of 18 that are being exploited and being trafficked. Mm. And young children. I mean, like with my character getting sold in at 12, well, Audrey, too. I mean, these are these are like legitimate kids ranging from 12 to 17. I mean, that's, that's I think, what was really surprising to me is how young they're getting these boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Mm. The role of Alex is the oldest angel in the show, and he's only 15. Um, you oh. know, when when he first is put into the life, um, you know, the girls are both 12. And it starts in 2008, and then uh, we bring it up to current day, 2015. Mm. Yeah, uh, and I think Audrey, one of the things that is hard is for a lot of people to understand is a lot of people, they look at their own lives or they look at how they're trying to rear their children and they see parents as, you know, they want to believe parents are always, you know, they may, they may make mistakes, but they're doing their best and that parents are always in a position to keep their children safe. And with these three kids, that's not true. I mean, in two of the cases the parents have actually led to this. In one case, we've got a mother who has sold her own child. In another case, we get parents who are totally unable to deal with the fact that their son is gay and kick him, beat him up and kick him out of the house. And in the other instance, the parents really care. They're, you know, it's, it's like 
um, uh, Audrey is the child of a doctor and, you know, this uh, mother who's very involved in causes and so forth. And they want to protect their child, but they're unable to because, you know, the world is just like that. Parents can't always can't always take care of their children. And I think for a lot of people, this is a revelation. And it's a difficult revelation to accept because they don't want to think that children, you know, that children are this vulnerable and that their parents aren't always trying to protect them or even if they are, can't always protect them. Audrey mm. actually has a line in the show where young Audrey um, says to her best friend Kayla, you know, uh, because Kayla says, what if this boy isn't who you think he is? And Audrey says, oh, why wouldn't he be? And Kayla, you know, makes a statement about people pretending on the Internet, and Audrey says, that only happens to other girls, not girls like us, you know, poor girls or girls from China or something. And mm. that is such a stereotypical response that so many people still believe because they think that trafficking only happens to girls in developing countries they think that it's only happened to undocumented uh people in the united states but the fact is is that trafficking and being forced into that life can happen to any young girl or young boy it's simply a situation that you know like with audrey she's taken because of a boy that she supposedly meets on the internet and that that's an all too common occurrence. Mm. With Alex, Terrible. when he runs away, it's because parents refuse to accept their children for who they are. One of the most undocumented sex trafficking uh, workers at this point uh, are transgendered youth. Not mm. only are they becoming a much more uh, a much larger part of those that are being trafficked, but they are also uh, more likely to commit suicide, more likely to become involved with drugs or alcohol, um, because every part of their life they feel is is wrong. Mm. Once they're you know once they're forced into that situation. Hmm. So, uh, Andre, so what's been your uh, reaction you've got when you tell people about this play? Um, for the most part, people are in the dark. They they really don't understand. And so I kind of make it my mission to, because to, I have two goddaughters. One is 15, the other one's 12. Um, I work with over 150 females in my church, probably half of them between the age of 10 and 15. And I, I just express to the parents and everyone else that social media is the thing that, that allows this to, to happen so frequently. And they target these girls that are so young and so naive. And so a lot of people, they, they don't want to believe it because it's not something that they feel like they can control or get a handle on. Um, but it, it has been a shock, even through my Facebook um, when I send something or Bill sends something, the responses that I get, and, and I mean, it's, it's invoking a lot of conversation. But for the most part, I think people, when they see something they don't like and they don't know how to deal with it, they want to go, no, that's not really happening, or no, that's not going to happen to me, or not going to happen to anyone I know. Um, and at least once a month, 
I'm sending something going, hey, this 12-year-old girl missing, this 13-year-old girl missing, oh, they found this girl, found out she had been sex trafficked for 48 hours, 20 hours. So it is it is happening right around the corner from where I work, at least four cases since I came on to the plane. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional already. I'm, I'm, woo. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly yeah. what the public needs to hear. They need to hear that passion. They need to understand that this isn't a situation or a subject that you can brush under the rug. It is happening. Mm-hmm. It's happening in our backyard. And it's happening every day and people want to say, well, no, that, you know, my family it it would never happen to my family. I watch what my child looks at on the internet. But you can't watch all the time. You mm. have to educate your your children about the dangers of social media, of going out yeah. and you know drinking at a party that they they don't really know people. Um, right. You know it's it's truly a situation, and I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but it truly is a situation that people are really it's easier for them to put their head in the sand Mm -hmm. instead of looking at the facts. If people actually research sexual trafficking, they will realize what a horrible type of situation that it is. Um, There was an article recently, uh, a girl was talking um, about her own experience, and she said that they had fed the body of a friend of hers to the alligators mm. because these traffickers, facilitators, pimps, once they're done, it's just as easy to dispose of a body as it is to worry about the girl going to the police or the boy going to the police. Mm. So it's it's not a situation that everybody always gets out of alive. Mm. And I think one of the things that is focused on here is that in some ways the people who don't expect it have the fewest resources. That, you know, Sam, the girl who who has grown up in this household in which the mother and the grandmother were both prostitutes, um, she at least has within her this strength of saying, okay, this is this horrible thing, but I am going to find a way out of it. Whereas for for Audrey, who has grown up in a much more privileged household, she actually ends up much worse off. She ends up um, to resist the the drugs and the violence and everything else, and she's much sicker, and she has less hope of getting out of there because she doesn't have any experience behind her to say, uh, you know, uh, there's there's some way out of this. Um, And so, therefore, I mean, the... One of the messages here is that because you, you know, it's not just that it's, um, you know, it's not only the Chinese or people from poor families that get caught up in this. It's also that, um, you know, it may be even more horrible if you weren't somebody that, by the stereotypes, would have been caught up in it. Mm. Wow. So now, Bill, I know that you're having a performance and a dialogue after the show. Uh, of survivors up in Baltimore. Talk a little bit more about that. The uh, New Day campaign, this is the first year that they'll be doing uh, this particular event. Um, it okay. is a 90-day event with, uh, I want to say, over 300 different uh, um, 
art openings, um, uh, different uh, speeches, um, interactive courses, uh, dance classes, a little bit of everything. Um, the gentleman, Peter Brune, uh, who is the organizer of this particular event, contacted me, uh, I guess it was late last fall, asking me about the show. And he had seen the first uh, scene of Forsaken Angels, and we had a meeting, and um, it turns out that he had uh, lost his daughter um, to a heroin overdose. She was a young girl who had gotten caught up in the life. Um, She was out selling her body um, for drugs, and she ended up ODing. And he's using the pain that he has to try and help other people with mental illnesses or with societal illnesses to really focus uh, uh, a little bit more, um, hopefully, resources and a little bit more awareness to these different issues. Um, So if you're in the Baltimore area on October 5th, please join us at the Single Carrot Theater. Uh, for the production, um, and proceeds from that event will benefit the New Day campaign and people with mental illnesses. Hmm. Okay, okay. We're coming up on about eight minutes left, so we're just going to quickly go down the list and just have everybody talk about uh, how they can be, uh, how fans can keep up with them online, and then uh, Bill will wrap up with you. Uh, Last words and uh, how we can uh, get tickets for the show. So, uh, Sarah, um, so how can uh, fans keep up with your career online? <laughs> well, I've, uh, I've got a Facebook page, notwithstanding all the dangers of Facebook. Um, uh, and, uh, um, you know, I have I have basically kept up with, you know, photographs and plays that I'm in and so forth uh, on my page. So if you look it up on Facebook under Carol D. Calhoun, I'm there. Okay. Uh, Andre, how about you? Uh, same for me. Facebook is my uh, main source, um, Andre Pearson. Um, but if you can't remember that, Wolfpack Theater, Bill will get you to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I <they> will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you, Steve? Well, being uh, you know, kind of a back-end guy, I've never really thought about putting my uh, my work out on Facebook, but I guess Facebook would be the best place to be, to, to go to look for it. Uh, Sarah, let me guess, Facebook. Uh, Yeah, actually, I have a complete (laughs) absence of social media, so I'm not on social media at all. Um, This conversation is making me realize I probably should be now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which we've all been telling her. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This is my first major production, and um, just coming up on one year of acting now, so that's something that I I will um, need to to start after, especially after this production, such an important production, and then going forward with whatever work um, I continue to do. So I guess stay tuned on that one. (laughs) You rock, Sarah. You rock. (laughs) Yes, she does. Bill, you know, I've got to slip this question in here. How did you come up with the name of uh, Wolfpack? Well, I really have always loved wolves, and I love the fact that the pack will – they work – as a whole, and they always work for the betterment of the entire pack. And when I decided to start the company, uh, one of the things that I really wanted to do 
was not only to help with different social issues that I felt needed to be uh, uh, faced head on, but I also wanted to give a sense of camaraderie, and I really wanted to give new talent a chance to shine. Um, Too often in the greater D.C. area, it can be really hard for somebody to break into uh, the, the bigger theaters until they have a body of work. And with uh, this particular show, um, we have uh, five actors um, who are making their Wolfpack debuts um, or second shows, and they are really just completely amazing. Um, Two of the actresses, Carol and Kelly Richards, um, who was playing adult Audrey, uh, were both honored through D.C. Metro Theater Arts last year for their work in Masquerade. Um, And both of them can be seen again this Wednesday night um, at Joe's Movement Emporium. Um, We're bringing back Masquerade for one night only as a fundraiser for uh, Metro D.C. P-Flag, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, and Community Crisis Services uh, for Suicide Prevention. Um, So, you know, it is something that... uh, um, I really want to make sure that people are able to have a chance to explore their talents. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so we're coming up about five minutes, so uh, I guess you can just put out there uh, how people can find uh, more information about the company and uh, how we can uh, get tickets for uh, Forsaken Angels. Well, Forsaken Angels will be showing uh, uh, September 18th, 19th, and 20th, and then the 25th, 6th, and 7th at Greenbelt Arts Center. If you go to www.greenbeltartcenter.org and go under Upcoming Events, you'll be able to purchase tickets there. Uh, It is $20 for adults, $16 for seniors, students, and military. Um, We are putting a mature audience warning on this particular show because of the graphic violence and partial nudity um, and the sexual situations within the show. Um, I do strongly encourage anybody who has a younger child uh, around 13, 14 years old, if they are comfortable with their child seeing that type of uh, things on stage, to bring their child to actually see firsthand what sexual trafficking can do to a young man or woman. Um, It is something that I'm encouraging everybody who has a daughter, a son, a niece, a nephew, um, grandchild to see so they can understand that we're not trying to exploit this situation. We're not trying to make a buck off of what is a horrible societal ill but that we're actually trying to show a realistic portrayal of what is, quite frankly, uh, I'm I'm not even sure what word I'm looking for, an epidemic um, of young people being forced into this life. Um, You can go to our website at www.wolfpacktheatercompany.com. Um, now, that is theater with an R-E. Um, or right. you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook backslash Wolfpack Theater Company. 
Okay. All right. And before we sign off, I do want to take just a moment and thank St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, the Greenbelt Arts Center, um, Community Crisis Services for all of their help, um, Stephen and Danny Beitzel, the cast, the crew, everybody, and especially my dear friend Marcy Lichtenwald um, from Toledo, Ohio, who has been invaluable in helping uh, with the uh, the script, making sure be, she is a, a, a sex trafficking um, professional. She's an expert in the field, and she's been invaluable in me running things by her and making sure that what I'm putting in uh, is actually realistic. So, Marcy, if you're still uh-huh. listening, thank you. All right. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, Bill, I mean, God bless you, man. You're doing a great service. And uh just want to thank you again for coming on the show and also thank the cast. Thank you. Well, thank we really you appreciate you having us. <laughs> King of really... DC Media. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, good night, everybody. Good night. Thank good you. Night. Good night. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you so much. And everybody, let me leave you with this quote from the great Meryl Streep. She said, acting is not about being someone different. It's finding the similarity and what is apparently different, then finding yourself there. Good night.